What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Dish. I'm Juliette Littman, and I'm here with Amanda Dobbins, but this is not jam session. It's kind of jam session adjacent because it's a shared passion, but we are here to discuss a guilty pleasure, and that is season two of The Gilded Age. Amanda, are you wearing your finest hat for this podcast? I'm not. I will be very honest. I'm wearing workout clothes, but I <laughs> did note a rosette, like a, um, almost like a peony, mm. you know, that, um, the Louisa, uh, what's Louisa her Jacobson. name? Marian Louisa Jacobson, Marion Brooke. Thank you so much. Names. I'm just going to let you know right now are going to be a real issue on this podcast. We'll work but through it. I, I admired the peony that she had pinned to her dress at the mm. Easter service. And I have been experimenting with floral pin adornments in my own life. I so if you would like you. me, it was well, just the one, but if you'd like me to go to the next room and put it on, it's just a pin. So I could put it out <laughs> on my, on my work, put on my workout top. I'm going to imagine you wearing it um, okay. as we record this podcast. It's just, a nice pop of color. You yes, know? it is. It's, it's lovely. It's, you know, it's interesting. Um, side note, I'm wearing a necklace I got for my bat mitzvah today. Oh, that wow. I, that I haven't worn in approximately 20 years, but I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to make Back in my life is Elsa Peretti's heart collection for Tiffany's. So there I vividly you go. remember that heart collection. <laughs> also, I am told that silver jewelry is like making the comeback after several years of the really of, good of the gold. Yeah, so that's exciting. Let's get back to the Gilded Age. Season two <laughs> returned this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. I had no idea until you let me know. From Mondays to Sundays. You can watch it on HBO or HBO Max or Max, the HBO portal of it. Um, if you don't remember, 
It is a television show starring just an immaculate cast of Tony Award winners written by uh, Julian Fellows, who is a novelist, but most famous for being the writer and creator of Downton Abbey. It is set in the 1880s of New York, and um, there's a few families that sort of the, the show revolves around. One of them is based on the Vanderbilts. One of them is like stand-in for old Dutch family that's been in New York for a long time. And it's a fabulous show. It is just incredibly fun. Is it? Because here's the thing. I've seen every <laughs> single episode. Um, and the way that I was going to describe it before you gave like the responsible like scene setting, character setting version was it's like Downton Abbey, but American and not funny. And I I do feel that each of those things are true. Do you feel what I said is also true? That it's phenomenal? Well, it's phenomenally fun. I have a good time watching it. I okay. don't know whether that's the same as fun. And that might be part of the reason that this, though it was promoted to Sunday Night Television, is on a, <laughs> a subsection of this podcast feed called Guilty Pleasure. <laughs> Great point. We're, we're here to dig into that. So... I, I laugh, but I'm not sure I'm supposed to laugh. Do you laugh while watching this show? No, but that's only because I'm looking at my phone. Okay. Um, and, so your T-SOP is high. Yeah, yeah. My T-SOP is high. And I actually did make a list of things that I looked at while watching The Gilded <laughs> Age, which I feel like I was going to pitch as a recurring guilty pleasure segment because that, that sort of is the definition, right? It doesn't need your full attention so you can pursue other things. But that means that the attention that I would give to engaging in the dialogue enough to laugh or to laugh at the awkwardness of the situation um, or something that doesn't land is instead focused on my phone, which is not the best way to watch. Why don't you tell me some things that you laughed at? Well, Cynthia Nixon, let's talk about her. Yes, we I forgot to mention Cynthia Nixon, who is also on another HBO Max show. And just like that, you may know her from playing um, Miranda on that show as well as Sex in the City. She is like a spinster aunt on this show. Right. And um, she's supposed to be like warm and kind. And she acts very dopey, but she actually knows what's going on. Um, her tragedy is that she's like forever single. And now she's, you know, middle age, late middle age, I would say. Everything that has to do with Cynthia Nixon, I just find to be absolutely comical because her character is like the batty old aunt but it's Cynthia Nixon. Like, how can Cynthia Nixon be batty? Right. It, it, but it does. <laughs> it works in that it's a TV show that's on air that we watched and like talked about. She is doing batty old like spinster aunt like she is in like a theater camp or like theater exercise, you know, like it is really you can see her dialing it down and doing an imitation of a meek person. Yeah. Um, which is funny. Uh, she's She lives with her sister, who's played by Christine Baranski. Correct. They are the Van Rynes. Right. And so th she is the, and she's the matriarch of the, the old Dutch family. Correct. And Cynthia, and Cynthia, Christine Baranski is widowed. So her fate is not as sad, but you, I think, believe we learned in season one that she was a fairly loveless marriage. Right. No, I think that a, a widow is a net positive for her because <laughs> she has power and money, uh, but she doesn't have to deal with the husband who she didn't 
like very much. So she gets to be in charge. She bosses everyone around. Uh, and she really leads into bossing Cynthia Nixon around in particular. But she's sort of, she's the overbearing matriarch with like hints of a heart of gold. She yes. normally does the right thing. Right. And she, her heart of gold is in opposition to her neighbor across the street, who is not actually her rival, but her neighbor across the street is played by Carrie Coons. She plays a character named Bertha Russell. Carrie Coons has never looked less like a Bertha, but that's (laughs) kind of besides the point. Um, The Russells are based on the Vanderbilts. The inspiration for Bertha Russell is Alva Vanderbilt. That's of particular interest to me because I read Anderson Cooper's book, The Vanderbilts. And Here we I've go. Been, I've I can't raving. believe it took like five minutes. <laughs> I've been reading this book to Amanda since I read it about a year ago. If you want to read this book, you could probably get it through um, Spotify's audiobook starting November 9th. Check, you know, check it out. I really recommend it. It's, it as you probably know, Anderson Cooper is a Vanderbilt, um, like kind of like begrudgingly so. And his book is about how the Vanderbilts after the 1880s, lost all their money. So it's great context for this. And knowing all that, I've just been, I had a great time watching the first episode as well. Um, The other thing is her husband is based on another, um, I believe, Cornelius Vanderbilt. uh, And one of, he like Cornelius Vanderbilt IV. Um, He's played by another like beloved Broadway actor, Morgan Spector. It's just there's like an inside joke constantly happening with this television show, or maybe I'm like projecting an inside joke, but it has, it has Christine Baranski, Cynthia Nixon, Kelly O'Hara, Audra McDonald, Carrie Coon, Morgan Spector, uh, Nathan Lane. Like all of these people would be immediate front runners for a Tony if this was a Broadway play. And so it's like the fact that also season two is now about like the opera and sort of like the, it's like a, um, a drama of manners about who gets to go to what opera is just like, feels like such inside baseball for this specific cast. It's hard to believe this is like a very expensive show. Maybe that's why I'm laughing. Cause I just giggle along with the whole conceit. So is it an expensive show is another question that I'd like to ask. Okay. A lot of money spent on costumes. Yes, the costumes are amazing. And you can see that they are expensive. And this also, you know, I'm not a a fashion historian by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like from Marie Antoinette, basically up until this point, is the most involved, like most (laughs) stuff you can put on a dress at once, right? Like that's like, I'm sure that's what it says at the Costume Institute at the Met. Um, so everyone is just, it's a lot of layers, a lot of adornments, a lot of stuff on the dresses, and they really pay attention to all of the dresses. Um, I believe that they do also film somewhat on location in and around, uh, like in upstate New York, where there are some like older houses that are, if not period, uh, you know, that that look old basically and fancy. And, uh, and even a little bit in Newport. Right. Which is where the Russell's, and the Astors uh, summer slash weekend. Forgot to mention Donna Murphy is also in this playing uh, the two, Aster. Two center stage uh, yes! alums are featured <laughs> in like prominent uh, recurring roles on this show, which is another way that you know that it is a like deep New York theater production. Anyway. The other one is Deborah Monk, who plays the really mean teacher. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the really mean mother in, right. uh, in center stage. Love her. Donna Murphy literally plays Caroline Astor and they just call her Caroline Astor. They're not yes. even trying to make she's, it up. She's just yeah. an Astor. 
So in some ways, like the center stage typecasting, like, you know, remains however many years later. Okay. But anyway, it's filmed somewhat on location. I mean, I think it is it, it, at times, but there's just like a tremendous amount of CGI. Tremendous um, amount. Just like a tremendous amount. And that's because it is supposed to be set in New York City and it is about the inner workings and in a lot of ways, like the um, like the expansion of New York City in the uh, late 19th century. And so they need New York to look old timey. And obviously, like it doesn't right now. And so, and I, and they don't have the budget to like shut down entire blocks of New York for months at a time to, you know, 18 idiot. So a lot of things look animated, you know, and, and I have a hard time with that. So I, I think one scene you're probably thinking of is sort of the the first scene of the season two premiere, which is a, a literally a parade. It's like every Upper East Sider walking to church because it's Easter. And right. that is distracting because you're like, it's supposed to like look opulent, but you can see the green screen. And then it cuts between two churches, the Upper East Side Church and then the, the Black Church where all the ba- Black characters, many of the Black characters are celebrating Easter in Philadelphia because there's like a whole kid subplot that like we'll get into. That's the a real bummer. Certainly not when I'm laughing. But like the the upper pews are mm-hmm. also CGI'd in like both <laughs> churches. This is, I'm so glad that you pointed this out because I was thinking primarily about like location building architecture CGI. But like we as a community need to talk about crowd CGI on TV because it's just not working. And they're writing all of these crowd scenes now that they think they have the technology. <laughs> and I just have to say to you, you don't have the technology. You don't have it when it's a Ted Lasso soccer game and you don't have it when it's Easter Sunday on the Upper East Side. They just don't look real. I think it's also very stark when, as we've been talking this through, I've been thinking about Downton Abbey versus the Gilded Age. Um, Downton Abbey is also like, all the sets are like big airy rooms with like five or fewer people in them, basically at all times. It's maybe for like one dinner scene per season or two or three, but the, every every scene of the Gilded Age is just stuffed. Like what, then when they show um, the house staff in their servant quarters downstairs, like it's always a very full room, which I guess is kind of borrowed from Downton Abbey because it reminds me of the downstairs with, um, you know, at Downton Abbey's basement level or whatever. But like, I think because there's so much stuffed into an episode of the Gilded Age, both in terms of visuals, in terms of characters, in terms of storylines, in terms of scenes. Everything feels like just very ornate. I'd like to give Julian Fellows the credit or the benefit of the doubt by saying perhaps it's intentional because the point of the show is like gross opulence of the Gilded Age. Right. But it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And the seams become apparent, as you were pointing out. (laughs) Yes. It is is hard to buy into... Like visually, I guess, like the, you know, once you get to the eighth crowd scene, the, the the expanse of the show gets away from them a bit visually. And I would also say that the expanse of the show gets away slightly from them in terms of me being able to remember who everyone is at any given moment. <laughs> because it's not just one household, right? Like the, the thing about Down Abbey was that it was contained at one real old house. And I think like even if... It, you know, they, I'm sure they built sets for production yeah, reasons, but they were like remodeled of the actual 
you know, house, you know? It's based on a real place instead of... Exactly, where you can go and where there are many tour buses that will take you. But so it's, it was one house, one family. They kept adding people on, you know, speaking of Christmas trees, but it, they had to explain who everyone was in relation to the one family or else you're like, why do I know about them? This, as you noticed, is like at least three families, a lot of cousins who just show up and uh, a lot of like, you know, women who seem to no longer be married, but there's some uh, like confusion to their past, (laughs) a lot of children with confusing parentage, you know, and like nothing is spoken in this world. So I don't know who anyone is besides Carrie Coon, Cynthia Nixon, Christine Baranski, and Audra McDonald. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Let's do a rundown of all the key players that you need to know as of episode one. So that if you haven't watched, you'll have this in mind. And if you have watched, hopefully it'll help you. Of season two. Of season two. Yes, excuse me. Season one, you should definitely watch. But I think it's so, it's like honestly confusing enough that you could just start now and you wouldn't need to worry about too much. Like I watched the last season on twice. Incredibly helpful. (laughs) And I got a lot. And that was, and I was like, all right. And as you said, Wikipedia will supplement for the rest. Yeah, I will say that like the the last season on, and then the this season on at the end of the episode, like that is how I essentially watch this show. You know, <laughs> like I t- I tune in for the highlights of each scene, um, and it's really compelling. Those are it's a great great four minutes of of scenery and character and, and drama. But anyway, yes, continue all the okay. characters. So let's talk about the Van Ryans. Um, as far as I can tell. I think from the view that we're getting, it looks like they live on the east side of Fifth Avenue. And mm-hmm. it's like Fifth Avenue and like 63rd Street. The Van Rines are um, Cynthia Nixon and Christine Baranski, who are sisters, as we mentioned. Um, their names are Agnes and Ada. And their main storyline this season will be that Christine Baranski's nephew, cousin, is a new character named Dashiell, and he's arrived it turns out that he's a widow. He's a 14-year-old daughter. And it turns out that Louisa Jacobson, who plays their niece slash cousin, Marion Brooke, is secretly teaching painting to cousin Dashiell's daughter on Thursdays. And this is very scandalous because she should not be working. Meanwhile, Louisa Jacobson, Marion Brooke, has essentially been jilted um, by her fiancé from last season, and therefore in need of a man. And good, good news, she's not related by blood to this guy, Dashiell, which was pointed out right. a minimum <laughs> of three times. 
in episode one, season two. In really awkward uh, small talk at opera parties. (laughs) Normal stuff. Um, Meanwhile, one other really important part about the Van Rines is that um, Christine Baranski's son is named Oscar. Uh, That's Agnes's son. And he is secretly gay. And he's looking to marry so that he can have um like a cover while seeing he has a he has a like a a man he's seeing secretly they'd like to continue but he needs a wife so that he can do so which brings us to their neighbors across the street the russells who we mentioned who are based on the vanderbilts and that is carrie coons and um morgan's last whose last name i can never never remember even though i have it right in front of me morgan specter Amanda, do you remember um, like what happened to Morgan Spector's train business last season? There was like a a train crash and some other like issues. I think there was just some um, negligence on his part that like might haunt them. Yes, the train derailed, and then a former employee said that he was instructed to use subpar hubcaps or something. I don't know. Do they have hubcaps on trains? You get what I'm saying. Um, There was also a thing with building a railroad or a train station and the other upper crust people in New York or the, you know, the, the finance people, the men bought stock, but like didn't believe in it. So then they were like shorting the stock, but then the, What's their name again? What's Carrie Coon's husband's the name again? The Russells. <laughs> I've seen every episode of Star. There, he buys all of the stock, thus, like, you know, impoverishing the entire, like, upper crust of New York or something, because that's how stocks work. So what we're meant to take away from him, very wealthy and uh at the at everyone else's expense with with uh and um, someone committed possibly- suicide over this little season one um, mr fane i believe oh, committed right. suicide <laughs> i over, have who over- are the fanes we are they are always talking about the fanes <laughs> they're always having a dinner party and it's think- like one more lady shows up with ringlets you know and i'm like oh is that mrs fane is it's is, you know they've got cousins too Whatever. Aurora Fane is played by Kelly O'Hara. The Fanes <laughs> seem to be beloved or at least embraced by everyone. But I agree okay. with you. I'm not sure. I think they're like cousins of the Van Rines or something. I'm not quite sure. Um, but they're used as a pawn, essentially, between all the families. I think the Russells are particularly nice to Aurora Fane now because her husband committed suicide because of George right. Russell's... And also she has like a, a, a special line to the Astors. Yes. I think, but she can't always deploy it. Anyway, the Russells, they are business titans and not always with the public's interest at heart, which it does seem like that's going to be a major theme because he's trying to crush the unions in uh, season two. Yeah, so the business drama of season two is he's trying to crush um, uh, labor organization. And um, their daughter Gladys is being pursued by Oscar Van Ryan, her neighbor across the street, and most crucially, and based on a true story, Bertha, having been locked out of the Academy of Music, a.k.a. the Upper Crust Opera, is starting to build and fund a competing opera guild, which came to be known as the Metropolitan Opera. So, okay, I just, I just, most crucially, is not, you know, the titan of New York is trying to crush organized labor and or this young woman is being brought into a into a marriage under, under false, false pretenses. pretenses. Yeah, for her wealth. But 
Bertha needs a box at the Academy, which is the old opera house, and there aren't enough. By the laws of prestige TV, I would say Julian Fellows has positioned the opera storyline as the most central. Do you, I mean, it ends with an aria from the Swedish oh, opera yeah, singer, no, Christine the Nielsen. Opera wars is, it's clearly going to be a season long thing. It's, um, it's the arc. But yeah. you bring up something interesting. If you were trying to sell someone legitimately on watching this, sh- legitimately on watching this show, who would you focus on? Like, who do you feel has the most compelling storyline to pitch someone on? Like, you know what? It seems like you just need to like relax and have like a pleasant evening with like your phone in your hand and your TV on. Who are you right. focusing on to sell this I mean, show? I, Julian Fellows made the right choice. It's Gary Coon, and mm-hmm. it's the birthday character. Like, her presence is. Very convincing, great actor, you know? And she's so, so good. She's so good. And so she makes like the conniving and even the pretext of the whole show, which is like outsider wants into gilded society, which is so silly. And she brings out the competitiveness, but also the um maybe even the knowingness, if not the silliness of this of this whole endeavor, which makes you root for her, even though you're like, I I really Actually, you know what? I enjoy the Metropolitan Opera. I got to go a few times when I lived in New York um, at the new building, not the building that they eventually built. But, you know, it's cool. I'm glad that exists. So thank you, Bertha, a.k.a. Mrs. Vanderbilt. Um, (laughs) One thing that's amazing about the Gilded Age is that I agree with you that Russells are like, the you know, everything everything revolves around them and everything revolves around Carrie Coons. Like, she's among this absolute murderer's row of actors and, like, she shines the brightest for sure. But the funny thing is, like, Julian Fellows really does not make you want to root for the Russells. Like, they're not rootable. And, like, George Russell is, like, is, I think, handsome and, and like, charming. But he's also kind of a monster. Like, his, I, he's, yeah. like, cor- he's capitalism of the Gilded Age at its most violent. And, and yet the show is centered around him, like, kind of, like, smiling all the time. 1,000%. I think a lot about Down Abbey while watching this show. Um because I like Down Abbey and I had some, I have some free brain time and while watching. And I do think that Down Abbey is just like a better quality show. I think just because of from like structure, because of how it's made. I think like the scripts are a bit funnier. But I d- was wondering like, do I think that a little bit because I'm American and that's like the British version and I just respond differently to the British version than I do to the American version? And just Julian Fellows have a similar view of all of these people? Or does he just really think Americans are, you know, extra financially rapacious and crass? (laughs) Um, I think he thinks Americans are extra rapacious and crass because of the open discussion of wealth. Like, so much of Downton Abbey is, you know, what is not said and then, like, what is said behind closed doors and whatnot, whereas... And Bertha. also it's about not having money because they right. have to marry an American heiress in order to keep the thing running. Right. And so even in that show, the Americans are like the sign of like a bailout, essentially. Right. I also think that the way that Carrie Coons' character talks about money is probably not realistic. Although I, I don't have proof of, proof of that from Anderson Cooper's The Vanderbilts. But I can just, I just don't think that she was hosting a party and talking about like raising money in the same way. Like I do think that like, of course, like a charity or, you know, you know, raising money for the arts was probably something that was discussed, but like not in such direct terms. So it's definitely like a dramatization of that. But I I do think there is something to 
has Julian Fellows writing like degraded over time or is this like the Americanness of it less fun for us Americans? And I think it's, I think it's both. And I do also want to where there's a third thing where it's like down the Abbey deals with money, but in, it's about how they don't have any. And so they have to like save the estate for everyone, which is, you know, a complicated class thing in its own way, but is at least like contained and presumably something that Julian Fellows, you know, is more familiar with. I I don't, I don't know that he like runs an estate and, you know, had to like save the pigs or whatever to, to save it. Do you remember that when Lady Mary just was like mucking around in the pigs? Yeah, of course. You know, I just want to make sure. Um, but I, I do, it also did deal and, and didn't deal with class in similar ways where it like sort of asks, um, Lord Grantham every once in a while to examine their, examine his privilege and they have to accept the chauffeur as the daughter. And then they have to like, you know, be okay with him throwing a soup tureen at someone because of that, like the troubles. Um, but it never takes on, they acknowledge real world events, but it's not in like a history book way. You know, they are personal problems that have a touch of things that were going on in the real world. Even like, you know, World War One and Matthew going to serve in World War One. Sure. And these characters just seem like avatars for historical events that he wants to explore explore because it's the time setting um but it's not like it's not like we know anything about the russell character beyond he makes a lot of money and he is you know his business practices are not very sound but he likes his wife so it's like i i think some of it might be like julian fellows's own remove and i don't know whether it's from the characters or the americanness or just like the history itself right but it's it feels like more anonymous, I guess. I think there's there's two other factors to the show that we haven't hit on that we should just talk about a little bit briefly. One is, as you were talking about that, I was thinking the, the downstairs characters, like all of the the servants and the staff or, or of the of the homes, those feel much less realized to me. But maybe it's yeah. just because there's so many more of them. Like there's multiple homes with a lot of staffs versus like just down Abbey. And there's a character, I believe his name is Trotter in season two, episode one, who's talking to a fellow um, house person talking about how he um, doesn't want to be a footman all his life. And it's like straight out of Newsies, the musical star Christian Bale, (laughs) where he's like leaning against a stoop and he's like looking out, trying to think about how to like find his way out of there. And it's just like very unimaginative. And then there's a whole other plot about race because like that's another big part of the show but I think it's kind of been um, downplayed a little bit. At least it wasn't this episode, even even though it was probably it was like probably intended to be the most emotional. But uh, Danae Benton plays Peggy Scott, who is a, jur- a black woman journalist, and we find out that like her backstory in season one was that she had had a child that she gave up for adoption, and then the child passed away. So this this begins with her addressing that. Audrey McDonald plays her mother. Their relationship is like pretty interesting, and I think um, I've I've read that. Julian Fellows actually did a lot of research into like the, the lives of black people in New York in the 1880s. So it's, that is pretty like historically accurate as far as I know. But 
I think the fact that like we didn't even mention either the of you know Peggy's storyline, we've barely talked about Marion. It just like speaks to the fact there's so much going there's so on. So much going on. You don't know where to look, and especially and they they explore um, the race element a little bit in season one. And Peggy is employed at the Van Ryan household and ultimately leaves because of the actions, because of the racism of one of the below stairs people, Mrs. Armstrong, who is. Maureen's mom from center stage. Yeah. But so as a result of that, she leaves the Van Ryan household and goes home. And so she is now like, it's a yet another house and she's completely separated. And even this plot line where they go to Philadelphia to meet the family who adapted her son, it's, which is incredibly sad, but they're like in Philadelphia, you know, it's like a, they're just away from all of the action. So some of it, to your point, is just, there are just so many people. There's just so a many lot people. of people. I think that's one of the reasons I find it fun is because it just moves along. Like it moves yeah. along like like a Bravo show. There's like, like every character gets to have a plot line basically in every episode, even if it's for like two minutes or less. And so yeah. you were on your phone. I was stretching. I was like lying on the ground. Oh, I was like, that's oh. great. I was like, my hips hurt. I got to do some stretches. And uh, it was, it was great. Are you like a figure four? Are you a uh, upside down? Like what's the... I was using a strap to do some... Oh, great. Um, some like hamstring stretches and like, you know, the hip socket, some figure four, some pigeon pose. Just doing a lot of stretches. Wow, pigeon. I, I love it. I was really it. in pain. You were really going for it. No, that's great. You know, they say in yoga, you know, that we carry all our emotions and our hips. Yes, yes that's I don't, definitely I don't true know for whether me. I believe that's true, but I hope it was healing. Here's a list of the things that I looked at on my phone. Okay. And 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 listen, I, I say this as like a positive thing because I could watch the show I didn't know everyone's name, but I understood the motivations <laughs> in every scene. I admired every dress and every hat, uh, noticed every bit of CGI. And then I was able to uh, obviously look at Instagram. I mean, that doesn't even count. Number two, you sent me a piece, a decider piece about the opera wars and the historical precedent for this episode. I thought that was pretty illuminated. So far, seems like they're on track. Then I looked at a belt that I'm considering buying, but I haven't uh, pulled the trigger yet on it. And I was trying to see if I could find like a less expensive option. But that's one of those things where it's like, you're going to wear it pretty often. You know, price per uh, use is low. Price per use is low and invest instead of buying something junky that you never wear. And then I Googled, and I'm not kidding, mom sneakers, because I don't really feel like the sneakers that I have. I'm looking for something functional for mom life, but also feels still like Amanda. I just bought some cool Sauconies. Maybe that could be a direction for you. Yeah, this is the other thing is that many people have like brand affiliations at this, you know, people are Nikes, like people are, a lot of people now are on the on running train, which is just like not, not for me. A lot of people, me. a lot of people love the Hoka. Hoka's, but they cut in too much for my arch, you know? So, but I don't have brand affiliation. Oh, so then I, I know not, what you should get. Okay, what? Golas, but like the but like the bulkier ones. Like I'll send you some links. I'm looking for something bulky because here's the thing. I want it to be able to like do light exercise, like walks. Probably not running. I have like, you know, proper running shoes. I'm also not running that much anymore. I'm like, cause speaking of paint and yeah, joints, age, man. you know? Yeah. But then I also want to be able to wear them with jeans and not feel weird. I understand. I have a. I, I've I've recently invested in jeans to wear sneakers to wear with jeans to work because I no longer want to be uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> anyway, the Google results for mom sneakers did not yield my pair of mom sneakers. So if anyone listening's got any thoughts, 
send it my way. I'll check out the Sauconies or the Golas. Please send me the link after we finish recording. Will we'll do. But I think that's the definition of a guilty pleasure, right? Yeah. I, I watched a show. I had a fun time. You and I talked about it. And I got some deep internet work done. It's also like in its own way immersive. Like I said, there's so much going on. And like every scene is so ornate. And like, it's just... It's sort of like Julian Fellows' personal renaissance. And I don't mean like he's come back, but like it's renaissance level right, yes. decor. It's just yeah. a lot, lot happening. So if you like, um, if you like a show that like feels British, but actually is American, this is definitely for you. <laughs> I honestly recommend it. It's fun. It's just a great time. The acting is also very good, even if the writing is silly. Carrie I, would, I agree with that. Yeah. And it is... There's a lot of material. Our producer, Sasha, informed me that um, she does not watch The Gilded Show, but she is a meme lord for The Gilded Age because that is possible on certain corners of the internet. So there's a rich internet life in that way as well. It's got something for everyone. I think that The Gilded Age would have crushed on Tumblr. It missed its time. Okay. A, tum- yeah. a Tumblr recap of, like, <laughs> GIF recap of, of The Gilded Age, that would have crushed. Um Thank you so much to our producer, Sasha Ashel. We will have more guilty pleasures each Friday. Don't forget to check out The Gilded Age on HBO or HBO Max on Sunday nights. 